Thank you for being here. You chose to be here, so you made a sacrifice, did you not? And uh, aren't we glad that we can make the sacrifices for the Lord? We could have cho chosen to be anywhere else we wanted to be or do whatever we wanted to be, but we, you and we chose to be here intentionally. That's the sacrifices of love, and uh, that's what honors God. So thank you for choosing to be here at this time, this day. And if you're visiting with us, we extend a, a heartfelt uh, welcome to you. Thank you for being here and uh, choosing Ridgecrest, and uh, it's our desire that it's a a great time of worship and uh, praise for you to experience and that you also experience the uh, warmth and the love and fellowship of Ridgecrest. Uh, if you're here for the first time today, uh, we'd like to uh, offer uh, a little extra help with you. Uh, if you could help us with your bulletin, uh, there's a little tear-off communication card that uh, gives us some information about yourself and you can leave it at the back table at the end of the service, and uh, at that same time, you can pick up a, uh, some information about our church, and um, uh, we would love to contact you and answer any questions or guide you in any, anything concerning Ridgecrest and your visit. So thanks again for choosing to be here. Uh, it's hard to think about. It's August, and uh, that means summer's winding down, and we're trying to get ready and geared up for what's going on in the fall, but uh, there's still a lot of things going on, and so I want to talk about our big three. Uh, the first one is uh, our Durham Bulls game, September the 1st. Uh, tickets still available. Uh, you can get them after either service at the uh, intersection, cross-section, or in the fellowship hall. I have a great time of fellowship. Uh, tickets are $15, and that includes uh, your ticket into the game and your meal. Uh, they're at the uh, upper deck. So it's a great time of fellowship, plenty of time. Uh, it's for a great family event. So again, that's on September the 1st. So uh, uh, make, make, uh, your, make notes on your calendar and uh, make a, arrangements to be there. Um, the next thing is uh, we've got a membership matters class coming up uh, next weekend. Next Sunday, the 18th, starting at 930. Uh, this is a, a chance for all that are interested in what it means to be a member, what... Uh, uh, what do you do to be a member of Ridgecrest? But it, it lasts for uh, about an hour and 15 minutes, but it's uh, very intense and it goes through a lot of information. But this is just the first step in getting to know who Ridgecrest is and, and uh, your place of service or, or membership here. So again, that's next Sunday, the 18th. So uh, you can uh, uh, show up, but if you want to call the office, just give us a, a head count, you know, so we can make sure we got enough chairs and whatever, but uh, uh, just make your plans if you want to find more, more about Ridgecrest. And then uh, last but certainly not least is on August the 25th, we have our combined worship service. And uh, this is going to be a great service as, as we come together as one body. Uh, there will be no uh, uh, connect group Sunday school classes that day, uh, but this will be a special time of coming together in that we're going to have a baptism. And I think it's not just a baptism, it is a baptism. I think we've got several baptisms. So uh, that's always great in the life of the church to see people making that connection with God and that connection with Ridgecrest. So again, August the 25th, worship 10 o'clock. And uh, it's going to be a great time of worship and fellowship on that day. So if you would, stand with me and I'll uh, call us to worship with prayer. And again, thanks for being here today. Well, Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the beauty of this day, for the beauty of creation. 
Lord, we are grateful for the creation of our salvation. Uh, Lord, we uh, understand that it's very important in our lives. And Lord, in a, in a world that uh, uh, is distracting us and uh, conflicting with us, Lord, we need you. Uh, we need the time to come together. We need to praise you. Lord, we need to spend time in your word. We need to pray. Lord, we need to fellowship with kindred spirits. Lord, we come together to worship and to glorify you. Lord, also to be strengthened and to be discipled. And so, Father, I pray that as, as we are called to be your instruments, that you are equipping us so that we can stand firm and stand boldly in this lost world. Lord, that we can make a difference in our church, in our community, and throughout this nation and throughout the world. But, Lord, it begins with you. So, Father, as we come, we, we lift this time of praise, of music, of song, of tithes and offerings, of prayer, uh, your holy message. Lord, all of this comes together for the purpose of honoring you. Lord, leaning on you. But, Lord, our responsibility is not only to honor you, and, and, but is to learn from you and to take it as we leave, that others would see you in us. Thank you for this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, would you turn and greet one another, please? Let me have my word of welcome to the many you've already received. Please have a seat for just a moment, if you will. We have entered that Sunday of the year where we ask you to affirm the deacons for our new church year uh, that you have nominated. We had our nomination election back in June, and uh, you nominated uh, several men from our church. Of those, we uh, the deacon nomination team has selected five of the top vote getters that you uh, presented. They've been interviewed. They've agreed to serve if elected. And uh, those names are printed on the bulletin uh, ballot inside your bulletin on the tear-off. So right now, if you haven't done so already, go ahead and tear that ballot off if you would. And you see there on the bottom where uh, you may uh, vote for these men either individually or uh, accept the ballot in its entirety. We uh, presented the names last Sunday in the bulletin. And uh, hopefully you've had a time this week to uh, think about those, pray about them. And uh, so we appreciate so much your participation in this. We'll give you just a moment to uh, check off those ballots if you've not done so already. And we'll invite uh, some of our handsome young men. Uh, Bernie, you're on this side over here. Who's on this side over here? All right, Alvin. Alvin and Bernie. Uh, the most handsome men we could find. So uh, when, you pat, when you get those filled out, just pass those towards the aisle, the center aisles. These guys will come up and get them. And it's up in the choir. We don't have bulletins. We'll get a bulletin. And while these guys are collecting the ballots, I want to say a special word of thank you this morning 
Uh, Ms. Ann Basin is filling in for Al Huffman, who's on vacation. Ann, thank you for being with us this morning. I thought Al was going to ask me, but yet again, he passed over me, and that's okay. Uh, I can't do everything, right? And uh, Miss Mary Martha Reed is filling in on the piano for us this morning. Thank you, Mary Martha, for being here. We appreciate that very much. All right. We appreciate that. We have come to bring the sacrifice of praise to our Lord. Let's stand together. Anne's going to come and lead us, and we'll continue in our worship time this morning.
Ushers, come forward if you will to receive our offering this morning. As they come, would you pray with me, please? Lord, you are so holy, and we are not. You are so high above us that we cannot comprehend you. In fact, Lord, if you had not come down to us, we would have no hope of reaching up to you. So, Lord, now as we give, may we give today the sacrifice of praise. May we give the tithe and the offering. May we in essence, give our very selves to you, the one who has given all for us, that we might have the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternal life. And so now, Lord, may this offering that's given today reflect our heart of gratitude, reflect our desire for obedience, and reflect the, our desire for the building of your kingdom on this earth through your people. In Jesus' name, amen.
Joy and Anne, thank you as well. And what a great, what a great encouragement to me as a believer, but what a great encouragement to us as a church. Our greatest days are ahead because we know the great Savior overall, don't we? So it's exciting. Hey, it's interesting to me to, uh, to see what links people will go to for the building of a church. I, 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 as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm beginning to understand more the value and the depth of history. So uh, some of the churches I've been a part of, uh, I've gone back and, and even in the day, have looked at the history of the church and, and seen what did it take to get this church built to get it off the ground. The church I served at before coming to Ridgecrest, Woodlawn Baptist Church in Lowell, North Carolina. It was my privilege to, to be the pastor there for 14 years. And in the church history, I heard this for years, they tell the story how that during the Great Depression, the bank, the local bank, folded and, and went out of business and with it took the building fund for the church. Gone. So they've changed the law now. They can't do that anymore. So that's good. But in 1931, in the church history, uh, and they were still talking about it in the 1990s when I went there as pastor, in 1931, the ladies of the church, amen for the ladies of the church? All the men's better say amen. That's right. <laughs> the ladies of the church pieced quilts. Now, wait, the way I understand, they put them together and then sold them for money. They pieced quilts, cross-stitched, crocheted, sold flavorings, cooked chicken, cooked stew, cooked cakes, and boxed suppers. I'm getting hungry for lunch. And, uh, and then sold these out in the community to raise support for the building of the facility of the church. The links that they were willing to go to in order to get a church facility built. To have a place where the congregation could meet and study and worship the Lord. Right here at Ridgecrest. Uh, interesting uh, history uh, of our church. How back in the 1950s, uh, Greystone Baptist Church, who back in the day uh, was the, the founding church of many of the churches, the Baptist churches in the Durham area, Ridgecrest Baptist Church included. Back in the early 1950s, they sent a team out to the northern Durham area because all these heathens lived out here and needed a church. <laughs> Still do. I heard, I heard that. I still do. That's right. Our work is not complete. So they sent a, a team out here to go door to door and canvas the community asking about the desire for a church, willingness to participate in a church. They held meetings. And, and I've heard this for years. Uh, that we met, first of all, as Ridgecrest Baptist Church in the old Holt School out here on Roxborough Road. And, uh, and what I didn't know until I went back and, and from, uh, refreshed myself with the history of the church... It says in our church history, the abandoned Holt School. I didn't realize it was abandoned, just a, an old abandoned building. I don't know. But anyway, anybody here back from the Holt School days? All right. So, uh, so, so Holt School. And then uh, the church moved and built facilities over here across from Northern High School. And eventually the facilities that we have here. And the stories are told about the J.B. Cash and, and his family and, and how generous they were with the sale of their farmland where we sit right now. And, and stories of the bonds and stories of, of people uh, giving of themselves sacrificially so that a church facility might be built. It's interesting to me to, to see what can happen when God's people get stirred up to do something. Amen? I love going down to Haiti. We've been partners with Haiti Outreach Ministries here at Ridgecrest since 1999. And in my trips down to Haiti, I love going down to Haiti for a variety of reasons. But one of the things that we have done consistently is help build structures 
in Haiti. It might be a security wall. It might be the, uh, the walls for one of the schools or painting or any number of different projects we do. Uh, but I see Joe Yandel, our children's pastor over there. Joe, I've never been on a trip to Haiti like the one I'm about to show you. Uh, but but uh, we're going to change how we do trips to Haiti. Uh, one of our pastor friends in Haiti, Pastor Luke, who was just up in the States a couple of weeks ago. He came by vacation Bible school one day here at Ridgecrest. Pastor Luke and his church go to other parts of Haiti every year and establish, they do mission trips and seek to establish a church. They've gone to this one particular area, and I would call its name, but I can't pronounce it, and if I could, you wouldn't understand it anyway. But they went to this one area in Haiti, and they've been working there for several years, and now they're building the facility of a church. And, and so Pastor Luke has been posting these videos online on, on his Facebook page about the building, the facility of this church. They put the shell up, and the last thing they did was they come back and they poured the floor, the concrete floor. They don't pour concrete, Joe, in Haiti like they do in America. You know that? So, so, so over a four-day period in Haiti, they poured this floor, and there's about 35 minutes of video Pastor Luke put on his Facebook page. I'm not going to show you all 35 minutes. But I'm going to show you just a moment, over, and there's pieces from all four days, last about a minute, and I want you to notice several things before you see the video. I want you to look and see several things. One is, everybody participated. Say everybody. Everybody, everybody participated. You'll see that on, on the video. And, and then I want you to notice, they were having fun. Say, say, say fun. Church ought, church, listen, church ought to be fun. It ought not look like we're sucking lemons when we come to church. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But, but they were having, they're having fun. And, and here's what they're doing. They are working. They are having fun. Everybody's involved. And they are worshiping as they work. They're not whistling as they work. They're worshiping. What you see on the screen is going to be a picture of them worshiping as they work. The last scene on there is the first worship service in that facility with the new floor that you're about to be seen being poured. Guys, show that for us. I say amen to that. Isn't that awesome? It is a, it's amazing. And just the, the joy. Is that, so Joe, you're in charge of choreography at our next Haitian, Haiti mission trip down there. That was, that was awesome and amazing. Well, it's interesting. It's always amazing to me to see what links people will go to to pursue something on their heart. Not just, not just somebody else's idea, but something on their heart. In the, in the Old Testament, in the book of First Chronicles, I'll ask you to turn there this morning. First Chronicles chapter, chapters... 15 to 22, seven chapters, that's right, we'll cover it all today. In, in 1 Chronicles uh, 15 to 22, David has a passion. He was compelled in his spirit by God to establish a temple in which the people of God 
would worship God. And this passage tells of David's passion and his preparation for the building of the temple. And today starts the first, we're, we're continuing the message series, Faith in the Real World. How David's life paints for us a real world picture of faith. The highs, the lows, the experiences of God on the mountaintop, the experiences with God down in the valleys, the great successes in life, the struggles in life, and even the failures in life, and how God is always there. How's the amen moment? God is always there. And so, so here we're starting, as we kind of finish this series of messages over the next three weeks, we're going to zero in on the temple. Uh, today, the preparations for the temple. Next week, we'll talk about the establishing of the temple. The next week after that, August the 25th, our combined worship service is going to kind of be like what you just saw in the video in that it's going to be a coming together and a culmination of the worship, worship that was to take place using the Psalms of David as we gather together uh, out in the gym. If you were at our last combined worship service back in May, wasn't that an awesome experience? And uh, we're not duplicating that, but it's going to be uh, an awesome worship experience. I hope and pray much like that one was as well. So in the story today, in 1 Chronicles, Jerusalem has now been established as the capital of Israel. The tabernacle that Moses set up, that God spoke to Moses about, is located in another city called Gibeon. And David is compelled to build the temple in Jerusalem in order to house the Ark of the Covenant and to house the worship and a grand worship place for the Lord. Would you stand with me for just a moment as we read Scripture together? <clears throat> now, we're not going to read all seven chapters out loud. But there's two verses I want you to, to notice. The first is Psalm 27 and verse number 4. Psalm 27, verse 4. You see the words on the screen. I want to ask you to read those with me out loud. Ready? Here we go. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. This is David pouring out his heart to God. And he's saying, I want, I'm asking of God that I may seek after and that I may be in the presence of God, dwelling in that great place where the Lord is. And notice what he wants to do. He says, I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. If you want to define, what is worship? What is worship? Worship is not an activity we attend. It's not something on the schedule. It's not something that you say and you, you check off the box. I've been there. To worship, is David just defined it right here, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. When we sing the songs of the faith and the choir sings, the, the effort is to point us to where we can gaze on the beauty of the Lord through those words. We read Scripture together. The, the, the goal there is to, through the words of Scripture, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Of the Lord. And then notice the last part, and to inquire in his temple, to, to, to ask, to, to interact, to have a relationship with God, to gaze upon his beauty, to relate to him in all of my life, and while I'm in this world, is to have a real faith in the real world. Don't you also notice 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 29? Speaking of worship, David states this uh, there uh, as, he, uh, uh, as he's encouraging people to worship the Lord. 1 Chronicles 16, 29. Read these words with me out loud together. Ready? Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. There's something about worshiping God. 
There's something about gazing upon Him and being in His presence. There's something about ascribing Him glory and recognizing who He is. There's something about recognizing who God is that puts all of life in perspective. You're having a hard day, figure out who God is and you'll be all right. Even the most difficult days we face that lead to struggle and even to death are worthwhile days when God is glorified in our lives. Because we know that we will dwell with Him forever. Our Heavenly Father, would you take the moments that we have here this morning and would you enlighten us and inform us and remind us and show us the value of worship and how important it is to prepare for worship, to prepare a facility like this beautiful place that we're in today, but even more importantly, to prepare our hearts. For Lord, we will not always be in this facility. We'll be out doing our jobs and in our homes and carrying out the, the, the hobbies and the, and the things that we do in our social circles. Lord, help us to recognize that we prepare a place physically, but we also prepare a place spiritually. Invade our hearts today, we ask, that we might truly glorify your name as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated. Thank you for that. Now, back in the 1800s, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you were around back in the 1800s. But back in the 1800s, a world-famous pastor, Charles Spurgeon, uh, said these words connected to this passage of Scripture in one of his sermons. Here's what he said. This problem about the temple, building the temple, this problem which David had at last worked out by the good hand of God upon him is one which in a deep spiritual sense exercises our hearts very often today. The same issue David felt with, uh, dealt with about worship is the same issue we deal with about worship. Then he asked this question. Where is it that man may meet God? Isn't that an awesome question? Where is it that I can connect to God? Is it in this room? And certainly many people have connected to God in this room right here over the years. Amen? Many of you have connected to God right here in this room. Is it, is it, is it somewhere else? The question is that people want to know, where is it that I can connect with God? Spurgeon goes on. How is it that man may speak with his offended Lord and be reconciled to him? How can I be made right with God? Because when I come into an awareness of who God is, here's what I recognize. God is holy. Remember, ascribe to the Lord the glory, the holiness that's due his name. That's who he is. When I recognize who God is, I also recognize who I am, and I don't belong in the presence of God. So therefore... How can I be reconciled to God? Spurgeon goes on. Is there not some meeting place where the sinner may express his repentance and where mercy may grant full absolution? Many are saying, oh, that I knew where I might find him. That's God. Hearts touched by the Spirit of God are still seeking after God. If perhaps they may find him, in what condition? And by what means may man be at peace with God and no longer dread the sword of his justice? Man, what an awesome statement to make. How is it, where is it that I might find peace with God who is in judgment over me and his sword of justice be put away? That's what David experienced right here in this passage of Scripture. If you look with me at 1 Chronicles, starting in, in chapter number 15, we're going to see that David's heart to worship God drove him to pursue the building of the temple. And David gave three things uh, in, in his life towards the building of the temple. He gave his time. 
He didn't just say to the priests and Levites, y'all go design a temple. David gave heart and soul and thought and, and, and time into the, into the plans and the location. Everything that went into the temple, David gave his time towards. David also gave his talent. David, the, the, you know, when, when, uh, when he was young and was going, and had, was going to fight Goliath and, uh, and he's brought before Saul and Saul says, why should you go out to fight Goliath? And David says to him, I was out in the fields tending my father's sheep and I fought the bear and the lion. And, and, and he's saying, I can go out and fight this giant. But also while David was out there tending the sheep, he had his harp and he was composing psalms that are recorded in the scripture, Psalm 23, among others. And these are recorded words of David. He was the songwriter. He gave his talents to that. He gave his talents of organization to, to the organization of the priests and Levites for the organization of temple worship. He gave all that. He gave his time, he gave his talents, and he gave his treasure. We'll talk more about that next week. David gave. He said, whatever's mine, I'm giving for the building of the temple of the Lord so that I may have a place, so that a place may be established to go and worship him. Anyway, so, so 1 Chronicles 15. I'm not going to read that. But in 1 Chronicles 15, here's what's happening. The ark has been at Gibeon, and David is going to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And when he does so, he organizes this parade of worship. And there was music, there was celebration, the people were lining the streets, the Levites had the Ark of the Covenant. You know, inside there is where the Ten Commandments were, and the jar of the manna, and over the top of it were the angels, where they were, the wings were almost touching each other. And there on the, on, 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 on the top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat, where the blood of the sin offering was sprinkled, giving and signifying atonement, forgiveness between mankind and God. And so this picture that we see there is, is this great procession making its way into Jerusalem. And, and so you have the, the trumpets and the sound and the drums. And you have the, the carrying of the ark and the people are singing and they're celebrating. And David is leading the procession, dancing. I thought I'd get an amen out of there. I got a woo-hoo. I'll take the woo-hoo. It was an amazing scene to, to hear how that is expounded upon. 1 Chronicles 15. 1 Chronicles 16, now the ark is placed in a tent in Jerusalem. And in, in verse 7 of 1 Chronicles 16, it says, Then on that day David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord. So David's giving his time and his talents here to the Lord. And he's setting out how that thanksgiving should be offered to the Lord. And starting in verse number 8, I counted here, I'm trying not to duplicate uh, where they are. I counted 16 separate worship actions in, here in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. It indicates that worship, as awesome as it is to, to worship by standing together and singing, as awesome as it is to stand together and read the Word of God, as awesome as it is to, to have, have a pastor preach the message and have the choir sing, all those things are great, but, but that's not the full picture of worship that we see in the Scripture. You realize that, right? This is not, this what we do is, is good, and I love what we do, but this what we do is not all that is described in the scriptures. Here's what it says, starting in verse number eight 16 worship actions. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Somebody say amen to that. Rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence 
continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles and the judgments He uttered. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Verse 31. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Why don't you say that with me? The Lord reigns. Say it again. The Lord reigns. That's what is said to be said among the nations. As God's people spread out. The, we, everywhere we go, we make sure people know the Lord, the only Lord, the one true God. You know what He's doing right now? He's reigning over all the earth. Verse 34. Give thanks to the Lord. For He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen. Say it again. Amen. You know why? Because they are good Baptists back in that day. They said, Amen, and they praised the Lord. Here's a picture of what happened. All these things were said. The people said, Amen, together. And then they just went into a time that was really unorganized. They were just singing. Some were singing over here. Over here, they were praying together. Over here, some were quoting Bible verses. Over here, some were testifying about how good God is. They just praised the Lord for an extended period of time. Isn't that just a beautiful picture of what worship is and what worship is called to be? Verse 37, so... So David left Asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord to minister regularly before the ark as each day required. You know what worship? Worship is all these things that we do, all these things in Scripture that are there. And worship, is, is we make the mistake sometimes of confining the worship of God to a set structure of formality during one hour on a Sunday morning and when God intends for worship to be a lifestyle. That's what he calls us to have. That's what he calls us to worship. Verse, uh, First Chronicles chapter 21. Fast forward there if you will. The location of the temple is now revealed in First Chronicles chapter 21. And uh, I'm, I'm skipping over more. If you're like I am and you want to know all the details, go back and read in this whole passage of Scripture. It's phenomenal. But for time's sake today, I'm going to have to just kind of skip over some things. First Chronicles 21, the location of the temple is revealed. Here's what's going on. David had sinned against God by by commanding a census be taken of, taken of the people to determine how many soldiers he had. While that may sound like a, a good thing to do, God told him not to do it. David is wanting to find out how many soldiers he had, and God's saying, don't worry about the soldiers, you depend on me. And David said, I'm going to take the census. So David was, had sinned against God and was facing the judgment of God, and God had brought a plague to the land, and David had seen a, an angel with a sword. God's judgment, an angel with the sword. David had seen that. And at the same time, David was looking for an appropriate place to build the temple to worship God. A place to offer offerings, guilt offerings and sin offerings because he had sinned against God. The plague had come. The angel with the sword was there. David was wanting to reconnect with God and for things to be made right. And he's waiting for instructions. 1 Chronicles chapter 21, starting at verse number 18. Now, the angel of the Lord had commanded Gad. Now, Gad was a prophet. The angel of the Lord had commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite. 
A threshing floor is where wheat, you pull in the wheat from the field, you put it down, and then you drag stuff over. I don't know all the details of it, but, but you know, you thresh the wheat. You, everybody knows how to do that, right? I'm glad y'all do. I don't. So anyway, so, 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 so Gad tells David, go to the threshing floor of Ornon the Jebusite. The Jebusite was not, it was not part of the people of God. And so David was called to go, to go outside of where the Jews were, right up the hill actually, on top of the mountain where the city of David, Jerusalem was, to go up there and to talk to Ornon. So verse 19, David went up at Gad's word, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Verse 20, now Ornon was threshing wheat. He was just minding his business. They had pulled in the wheat. They had it up there. The, they had, it was a, the, the uh, oxen would go around in a circle right there where they would thresh the wheat. And the men would bring in the wheat. They were just, they were farming. They were pulling in the crops. And Ornon was minding his own business uh, at this time. And it says in verse 20, he turned and saw the angel. This angel with the sword out. Ornon minding his own business, working on the farm, pulling in the harvest, suddenly turns and sees this angel. And his four sons who were with him hid themselves. Like good Baptists would do. Amen? You see God move. We want to run and hide, right? Verse 21. As David came to Ornon, Ornon looked and he saw David. So he sees the angel and then he sees David. And he went out from the threshing floor and he paid homage to David with his face to the ground. He bowed down before the king. And David said to Ornon, Give me the site of the threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord. Give it to me at its full price that the plague, God's judgment, may be averted from the people. David had sinned. The plague had come. David's looking to, to, to offer sacrifices to God that it might be, uh, that God might restore everything. So he's saying, this is where I'm supposed to do it. Sell me your threshing floor. Verse 23, Ornon said to David, take it. I've seen the angel, I've seen the king. I want to survive. You take it, it's yours. Take it and let my lord the king do what seems good to him. See, I give the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing floor sledges for the wood and the wheat for a grain offering. I give it all. Ornon is basically saying this. I've seen God. I've seen the king. Take it. It's yours. Verse 24. But David, King David, said to Ornon, No, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David is saying to Ornon, Thank you for your generosity. However, I'm not going to take what you have and then use it to worship God. When I worship God and I bring offerings to God and I bring sacrifices to God, they're from me. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to piggyback on what you give. I've got to pay for what I offer to God. See, there's a, there's a price to pay for worship. That's what we need to understand. There's a, there's a price to pay for worship. David paid money to Ornon. He bought the field. When, the, when, when this property was purchased, money was paid. And, and some of you in this room gave sacrificially so that this property might be purchased, so that this building might be built, and ongoingly so the buildings can be maintained and the programs can be carried out. You give. There's a price to pay for worship. We also need to understand that God paid the ultimate price for our worship when He sent Jesus to be our Savior. None of us can ever say that we gave more towards the kingdom of God than God ever gave towards us. We'll never give back to God 
what he's given towards us in his only son, Jesus Christ. It's been said, religion that costs man nothing is worth nothing. I didn't like that the first time I heard it. But the more I grow in my faith, the more I realize this is true. Worship that costs man nothing. If it doesn't cost you your time, if it doesn't cost you your talents, if it doesn't cost you your treasure, then you're not invested in it at all. You're not going to get anything out of it. You've heard that saying before, you get out of something what you put into it. The same is true for our worship. And David is exemplifying that right here. Verse 25. So David paid Ornon shekels of gold by weight for the site. And David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord. And the Lord answered him with fire from heaven upon the altar of burnt offering. Verse 27. Then the Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back in the sheath. The judgment had ended. And at that time when David saw the Lord had answered him at the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite, he sacrificed there. This great scene of worship had taken place. And the judgment of God had been silenced and stopped and finished. And David had given the sacrifices to the Lord. He had confessed his sin towards God of not depending on Him. And God had relented. And on that site now is where David goes continually to worship the Lord. Just a threshing floor out in the middle of a field somewhere just above the city of Jerusalem. At this, at this particular time, the, the place here, this, this threshing floor, had no specific significance. It was just an outcrop of rock with a threshing floor on the top of it. I want you to, to notice this picture here uh, on the screen that you'll see there. And, and there's the threshing floor. That's what a traditional threshing floor looked like. You see the oxen dragging the sled. Somebody's riding on the sled. That would be my job, riding on the sled. And they're, they're threshing the wheat and separating the wheat from the stalks and getting it ready so that it can be used by the people. So that's what's going on on the top of this hill. Now, now the next slide is going to show you the location of this hill. You see, there's the city of David. And, and at the front of the screen is the bottom part. And, and if you go up to the top of the screen, you're actually going up the hill. And if you see the very top of the city of David there, just above that is where the threshing floor of Ornon was, outside the city to the north at a higher location than the rest of the city. The same outcrop uh, where David was offering the sacrifice, the same outcrop where the threshing floor of Ornon was, is also the same outcrop where generations before Abraham had been instructed by God to offer his son Isaac. You'll see that slide there as well. Abraham was commanded by God to offer his son. And what happened in that environment? Abraham took his son and he took the fire and they went up into the, the mountains of Moriah, which is where this is built here, the city of David, on the mountains of Moriah. And when Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son to obey God, at the last moment, a ram became tangled in the thicket. A lamb, a ram. And the ram or the lamb became the substitute for the son and died in the place of the son as a sacrifice to God, indicating sin brings death, but God provides a substitute. On that same mountain range, and when I say mountain range, I'm not talking about the Rocky Mountains. I'm talking about a hill, if you will. A rock outcrop there in, in, in Israel. On the outcrop, Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac until God sent the ram as a substitute. And now David is offering sacrifices on that same outcrop of rock above the city of David, Jerusalem, there 
And, and at some point on that same outcrop of rock, the temple would stand. You see a picture of the, of the temple there uh, on, the, on the screen. And if you look at that picture on the screen, this is from looking from the east, looking towards the west. And so you see the outer court, and then you see the, the center gate, the gate at the center of, of that picture there. That's the entranceway into the temple area. And, and so there's only one entrance into the temple area. The significance of that is Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Only one way into the temple, only one way into the presence of God. When you get into that outer courtyard, before you go into the temple itself, there, you, there are two things that happen. There's the sin offering that takes place where the lamb was sacrificed every morning, every evening. The, 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 the sacrifice indicating to the people, sin brings death, God provides a substitute. Also in the outer court, there was the basin where the priests would go and ceremonially and symbolically they would wash in the water in that basin, symbolizing that it is through, through the washing uh, of our sins away that we are made right with God. And then you go into the temple. In the first room of the temple, the holy place, there are three things in there. There's the menorah that gives light, the, the big, the big seven-pronged uh, candle. And you remember what Jesus said? He said, I'm the light of the world. Then there's a table of showbread where there's a loaf of bread baked every day for the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Then there's the altar of incense right there at the curtain. The altar of incense where incense is, is, is burned and, and as they go up towards the top, it signifies the prayers of God's people going up to the Lord. And where again, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You come to God through me. And right behind that altar of incense was the curtain. And the curtain, the curtain was thick. I mean, it was really, really thick. And, 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 and so it, it separated man from the presence of God. Inside, on the other side of that curtain, was the Holy of Holies in which the Ark of the Covenant rested, where the mercy seat was. And so every year on the Day of Atonement, the priest would have the sacrifice out on the altar at the very front for sin. Sin brings death. God provides a substitute. The, the, the lamb was sacrificed. And blood from the lamb was taken all the way inside by the chief priest into the Holy of Holies behind that curtain and sprinkled on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant on the Day of Atonement, signifying the mercy of God on the sins of the people. Well, it's much more detailed than that. That's a, a quick glimpse. But all, for over a thousand years, that would take place. The temple would take place and stand there on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, on the same outcrop where Abraham offered Isaac, on the same outcrop where David uh, was encountered the angel of the Lord, and the, and the, and the, and the, uh, uh, the judgment of God was, 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 was satisfied, and the angel put the sword up. All that happened on the same rock outcrop. And after that, on that same rock outcrop, is the place where Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. And the cross says the same thing that the temple said, which is the same thing that David's sin offering said, which is the same thing, the same message that Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac said, the same message that all of Scripture says, the same message that is proclaimed today across the world, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin brings death. We're guilty before God. But God provides a sacrifice. And it all took all those incidences took place on the same outcrop of rock there in Jerusalem. In 1 Chronicles 22, the location of the temple is confirmed. David says there in verse 1, Here shall be the house of the Lord, 
and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. I'm going to skip chapter 22, the rest of it, and kind of wind this thing down a little bit. The purpose of the temple that David had a passion to build. The purpose of the temple that David was making preparations for. The, the purpose of the temple will be a place for people to experience the presence of God and the name of God. The presence of God and the name of God. God established that in those days, at that time, for that season of history, that God would meet with mankind through the temple, through the sacrifices, through the offerings. And this would be the place to experience the presence of God and the name of God. The reality is that God can meet with mankind anywhere. Amen? Amen. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We can meet God at the temple of Jerusalem. We can meet God at the great cathedrals of the world. We can meet God in the worship center of Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Amen to that? We can meet God out in the gym in our next worship service after this one. We can meet God in, in, uh, in nature. We can meet God at the beach. We can meet God uh, in, in a barn. You can meet God in your bedroom. You can meet God in a house. You can meet God in the garage. You can meet God at your school. You can meet God at your job. I would say you can meet God on the golf course, but I've seen golfers. I don't know if you can do that or not. But of course you can. I've heard it said this way. God met Adam in a garden. Noah in an ark, Abraham under a tree, Moses in a burning bush, Jonah in a fish's belly, David in a cave, God met man on a cross, and He meets you and I right where we are. Isn't that good news today? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 tells us, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. You see, the temple might be gone. It's been gone for a thousand years, and that's okay, because God's presence is no longer limited to the temple in Jerusalem God's presence is now in the temple of our bodies. When we know Jesus Christ, His Spirit indwells us. I found a great quote. I love this quote. It's not the place that makes God's presence holy. It's God's presence that makes any place holy. That's why the presence of God can invade any of the most dark sinful areas of this world, and that place suddenly becomes holy because God is there. David made preparations for worship. The question for us is, do we make preparations for worship? Do we make preparations for worship to experience the presence of the Lord and the name of the Lord? Another way to define worship is that very way, to experience the presence of the Lord and the name of the Lord. Let me ask you, a question this morning. Are both of these true in your life? His presence and His name. His presence is what happens when we worship Him with, with others. When we worship Him by ourselves. When we open the Bible. When we open a hymnal. When we, when we look at a screen and sing a song. When we listen to it on the radio or a CD or on our, our cell phone. Whatever it may be. When, when, when music is played and songs are sung. And the word is opened and prayers are offered. Are you experiencing His presence there? And if what you're doing in your mind, you're saying, well, Pastor Mark, I'm doing all I know how to do. I'm showing up at church every Sunday morning at 930. I'm showing up every Sunday morning at 1045. I'm, I'm, I'm present. But I'm not really knowing the presence of God. And I would encourage you to make sure that in your mind, you're not equating where you happen to be with the fact that that is where worship occurs. 
I've discovered this in my heart, much to my chagrin, that, that people all around me can be experiencing the presence of God and I can be standing there just as cold and distant as, any, distant as anybody, anytime, anywhere. His presence comes in worship. And then His name comes in salvation. When I know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, His name. In Acts it says, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. There's one name and one name only, and that is Jesus, which saves us from our sins. In Romans 10, 13, it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. His name is so important. I wonder this morning, I wonder this morning, just right where you are, if you just need to tell the Lord, Lord, I want to be in your presence. That passion we've been reading about from David, I want that kind of passion in my life for you. Lord, I want, to, I want to be in your presence through your word. I want to be in your presence through your spirit. I want to be in your presence through song. I want to be in your presence in, in every area of my life, in my marriage, and with my family, with my kids. I want to be in your presence at my job and at my school. Lord, I want to be in your presence when I come into the church house to worship on Sundays. Oh, Lord, I long for your presence. I wonder today if that's your heart and your attitude. Lord, I want to be in your presence. If it is, then I pray even now, you just begin praying that way and carry it outside when our worship service is over today. Lord, I want to be in your presence. Lord, help me to know your presence. And I wonder today if you're known by his name as salvation. Has there been that time in your life? And, and, and I, don't want to, I don't want to belittle you and make you in, in, in saying that, that you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. When there are so many in this room, obviously, who have, and down through the years, you've been faithful to that name. But also know that every time we gather in a room this size, with a crowd this large, and in our next service as well, there are always those that perhaps, even though you've attended, you may have never claimed the name of Jesus. By simply saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And I know, Lord, that you're the substitute for me. And Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. Come into my heart and forgive my sins and walk with me daily. Help me to know your presence and then take me to heaven one day. What an awesome thing that is today. If that's your desire, then make that your prayer. Make that your prayer right now. Lord, I cry out to you in my sin. I trust Jesus as my Savior. We're going to close our service a little differently today. Is that okay? Say amen if that's okay. All right, got your permission. I mentioned 1 Chronicles 15, where David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And it was great fanfare and a great celebration and a great worship time that broke out. For the occasion, David wrote a psalm that was sung that we have in our Bible is Psalm number 96. Now, don't turn in your Bible. The, the words are going to be on the screen. You're going to participate here in just a moment. Well, here's what we're going to do to close out our service. We're going to stand together in just a moment. Don't stand yet. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to read Psalm 96 together. I'm going to read uh, the, the one part, and I think uh, uh, it's supposed to be that some of the parts, Bill, are, are yellow. Is that right? Some of them are yellow. So I'm going to read the non-yellow parts. You read the yellow parts. And then we're going to read together Psalm 96. And immediately we're going to go in and sing a great worship song based on Psalm 96. Shout to the Lord. And I want to challenge you as we read and as we sing. Let it be something from your heart. Desiring the presence of God.
representing the name of God as the people of God worship God. Would you stand with me? Psalm 96. You read with me the yellow words. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare the glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. And let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For He comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. And I'm going to pray for us right now. And after I pray and as we sing, as the service concludes, Rodney will be here at the front. If you have a, a, a desire today for someone to pray with you, to walk with you, encourage you, you come see Rodney as we're dismissed out here in just a moment. Our Heavenly Father, thank you today for the privilege of knowing Jesus. Thank you today for worship. Thank you today that we can join with the voices of many others across the generations and we can shout to the Lord and let the world know that our God reigns. Our Heavenly Father, stir among your people a heart for worship, a heart for your presence, a heart for your name, a heart to live for your glory, a heart to know you and to dwell in your presence forever. Give us, Lord, a heart to follow you all the days of our life, that, Lord, you might be seen and heard from us and through us to the whole world as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together.